Good morning, family. Good to see all of you here uh, today. Here we are on the second Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming. Uh, Advent is a season where we are waiting. Uh, We are people who anticipate and wait. So we do things a little differently because of that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, um, where, you know, the the world around us is putting up, you know, festive green green uh, wreaths and things. We're using dead, dry branches as a sign of our barrenness, our longing for the new creation to come. Um, whereas, you know, the colors around us and the places that we frequent are full of reds and, and greens, we've clothed this place with purple, a, a color of mourning, that we are longing and looking for the royal king to come. And we're, the, the sound that's that we hear and the songs that we sing are, are about Santa and mistletoe. Um, we're, we're singing these songs about mourning and lonely exile here. And it's because we're waiting. It's because Advent is a time where we are waiting for the coming of Jesus the King. And so we're using these beautiful passages from Isaiah that the church has looked to for 2,000 years to tell us what this King is like that we're waiting for. And what his kingdom will be like when it comes. So let's, let's pray that God shows us more about that king today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the season that it slows us down and centers our hearts on remembering who we are as waiting people. And we pray that you would open our eyes and help me and all of us through the spirit today that we would not only hear God's word today, but be changed by it and respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading from Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. You can find it in your bulletin on page 10 if you need it. Hear God's word, family. This is true and it's given in love for you. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, and the the young lion will the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. And one of the um, funny things about being a parent of, of young children is that your um, sort of your, your personal portfolio of pop culture knowledge begins to shrink dramatically and sort of be out of step with the people around you. So, you know, where all your friends are talking about the latest Netflix thing that they're streaming, you're, you're watching Yo Gabba Gabba and Caillou. 
And, uh, you know, where people are talking about the movies, you know, the the arrival or Dr. Strange is in the box office right now. You're watching Frozen for the 39th time. Um, But the great thing about it is that you you, you actually get exposed as a parent to all of this media that's created for children that are, it's actually remarkable. Um, One movie that I have watched for like 18, 20, 23 times already is this new movie, Zootopia. Have any of y'all seen that? Any of you adults seen Zootopia? It's a, it's a fantastic film. Um, the premise of it is it's about a, a city called Zootopia where all the animals live together, both predators and prey. They've learned to be in harmony, at least temporarily, and they wear clothing and they work jobs and that sort of thing. And the funny thing about the film is that the animals are casted in different roles that you might expect them to be in based on the animal stereotype. So, for example, the, the mayor of the city is, can you guess, a lion, Right? The, the police force are mostly big hulking animals like, you know, rhinos and, and bears. And um, the, the, the Wall Street bankers, lemmings. <laughs> but the funniest part, the, the best part of the movie is the workers at the Department for Motor Vehicles are sloths. <laughs> sloths, right? And have you not felt that being at the DMV? Have you felt not, do sloths work here? Right? You felt that before. No offense to you if you work at the DMV. We know it's not your fault. It's the bureaucracy. But, but we are a people who hate to wait, right? In the DMV, I mean, interminable waiting. In fact, there are few things that Americans tolerate less than waiting. Um, if something takes too long, make it more efficient. If it's not immediate, there must be a problem. You know, we, we do so much shopping online now. Um, and I read an article this week that said that most consumers now, um, they will quickly click off a page if they're trying to purchase something if it does not load in more than 2.5 seconds. You know, take it too long, you know. So we hate waiting. And yet, here we are in Advent saying that at the heart of who we are as people who know and follow Jesus is that we are people who wait. That's central to our identity. And so every Advent, as the world around us refuses to wait, and is in our own hearts refuse to wait, we are coming again, again, reminded that we are a people who wait. And we are reminded every Advent what it is, who it is, that we are waiting for. And so that's why we're joining with Isaiah, this Old Testament ancient prophet, and the people of Israel that he spoke to, because they were people who were waiting. They were in a really, really difficult situation in life. They were in some very severe circumstances. The, the mighty uh, military nation of Assyria was bearing down upon them, threatening to destroy them. And this is just after they had experienced some very severe judgments from God because of the rebellion. So they are just in a bad place, and they are crying out. They are waiting for something to happen, something, someone to rescue them. And Isaiah stands up, and he prophesies with these beautiful images that we're looking at this month. He's saying, people, please, believe me, a rescuer is coming, a messiah a hero king. He is coming. And at least in this passage, he says, he will be like a branch shooting up from the barren stump that is your life. And so we're joining them. We're joining them in our own places of barrenness, looking for that Messiah king to come. Now, it can be a little confusing reading Isaiah. I know, if you've, I know some of you have never even read the Bible, but even if you have read the Bible, Reading the book of Isaiah can be really confusing because sometimes it's unclear what Isaiah is talking about, especially when you read passages like this. Like sometimes it seems like things that he's talking about have already happened. Other times it seems like, you know, it's definitely not happened. 
So I made this little chart. I'm very excited about this chart because I worked hard on it for you, okay? So this is my electronic gift to you this, this um, season. So Isaiah is speaking, and on the one hand, he's, he is prophesying about what, what I'll call the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. He's looking into the future with an arc of prophecy and saying, many of the things that we read about in Isaiah have already happened. They have been fulfilled already in the first coming of Jesus, which what Christians call the incarnation, where when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became flesh and came among us, born as a human, we celebrate that at Christmas time, and many of these things that Isaiah speaks about have already been fulfilled in that first coming of Jesus. However, there are other things that Isaiah speaks about that will only be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus, at the second advent, and there are things that we read about that are confusing because they have not yet occurred. And frankly, when we read them, they sound preposterous at times. We'll look at some of those things in this text. But that's what I want you to keep in mind, is that that Isaiah and all the prophets, really, are speaking of the two advents, the two arrivals, the two comings of Jesus. And we have to pay attention to those things. So let's look at the text together. Just want to walk through it uh, with you right now. So look with me at the text. First, there's many things that we can see that have already been fulfilled that Isaiah speaks about. So verse 1, for example, he says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, in this period, and even leading right up to the first century, Israel was hung out to dry. They had been punished for their rebellion and their idolatry. Their kings had led them astray. They were captive to first to Assyria, then to Babylon, and then to Rome. I mean, they were hung out to dry. Israel, Isaiah says, is like a stump, like a terminated plant. Uh, you know that image from um, the giving tree? Remember Shel Silverstein giving tree when the tr- tree gives all, himself all away and he's just that little stump on the ground? That's what Israel has become, a little terminated plant in the ground. And yet, Isaiah says, out of this seeming impossible barrenness will come a surprising shoot. Verse 1, from the line of Jesse, a, a shoot that no one could possibly ever expect in What his metaphor is suggesting is that this king will come in the most humble and surprising circumstances. He will not rise up and triumph like a palm tree in a palace. It will be much more like a single rose blooming in a junkyard. And of course, if you know the story of Christmas, you know that's exactly what happens. That this great hero king is not born to a queen in a castle, but to a teen mom in a feeding trough. He's not born in L.A. or New York. He's born in northwest Arkansas. And that's why the only people who were able to recognize him is the people who had been carefully reading their Bibles, people who were reading Isaiah. It says that he will not be known or recognized by his royal robes or his flashy crown or his bling on his Cadillac or whatever it might be. He will be known, it says in verse 2, by the anointing of the Spirit of God that is upon him. You see that in verse 2? It says, the spirit will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. And if you know the story of Jesus, you know that as he began his ministry and he went to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, and do you remember what happened? The spirit of God in the form of a dove came down, and the same word is used that is used in the Subduagent for this text. The spirit of God rested upon him. And if you were a faithful Jewish believer at that time and you knew the book of Isaiah, you would look at that moment and see that spirit of God, coming down upon Jesus and think, this is the one that Isaiah spoke about. This is the one on whom the Spirit now rests. And it says that this king will be one who stands up for the vulnerable of the earth. He will act on behalf of the needy, executing justice before them. And of course, we know that Jesus is the one who stood on the Sermon on the Mount and he preached, blessed are the poor of the earth, 
for they will inherit the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for theirs are the ones who belong to the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus is the one who the poor and the vulnerable and the needy of the earth flocked to because he was one who advocated and spoke for them. So Jesus is indeed the one who has fulfilled this text. He is the humble king who came in the power of the spirit to save the needy and to set them free. And so much of this text has already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. The impossible renewal out of the barren stump has already happened, and this is good news for all of us. All of you, every one of you. This is good news for you. We, we join Isaiah. Can you imagine being a person? I mean, some of you, frankly, don't have to imagine this. Can you imagine being in a place of utter hopelessness, barrenness, where you look at your life, you look at a relationship, you look at your marriage, you look at the future, and all you see is a stump. A terminated plant. Some of you don't have to imagine that at all because you just endured a thanksgiving from hell. I've talked, to, I've talked to some of you about this. And you're about to endure it again. And all you see and as you look ahead is a, is a barren stump. And this is God saying to you, do you see out of the barrenness will come life? And out of the, the, the terminated ground, which you think no, nothing can ever spring forth, hope will come out of the barren places of your life. From nothing will come something that will renew everything. See, this is a word for you, a promise that this has already happened, that into a world of stumps, the branch has risen, and therefore it can rise in you. It can rise in you, and you might have to wait for it. You might have to wait a long time for it, but the promise is for you because Jesus has already come like the branch into the barren stumps of the world. Do you see that? This has already happened, already happened. But... Okay, that's the first coming of Jesus, but we also see that when you read this text, there's many things in this text that have not yet been fulfilled, right? That, you, you, that have clearly not come to pass. All this stuff about peace and you know, renewal and lions and all these things. I mean, and you don't have to even read this to know that. I mean, you could, I mean, some of you, especially if you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking this right now. Okay, preacher, you say God has come into this world? What about the pain? What about the injustice? What about the millions of children who die every day from treatable diseases? What about my cancer? What about my beloved who just died? You say God's coming to this world? Not looking like it. And that's because Isaiah speaks of many things in that second ark. He speaks of many things that have not yet come because they will only come at the second coming of our king. And so he speaks in verse 4 about the Messiah's rule. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Now that might sound scary to you, but consider what that might sound in the ears of a 12-year-old little girl who's been kidnapped in India living in a brothel. This is good news for her, friends. This is good news for the oppressed of the earth who have no advocate, who have no one to defend them. Can you imagine what it'd be like in that little girl's ears to hear that her king is coming to deliver her? when no one else will. This is a promise of a day when injustice will be made right. And not only that, it's a promise of a day when the earth itself will be made right. I mean, verses six through nine are some of the most incredible verses in the Bible. I mean, in these verses, we see Jesus as judge. We see him as king. Here in these verses, we see him as veterinarian. Do we not? It's saying uh, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf with the lion, all the bears. I mean, there's like this an animal parade. What's going on here? Well, here's what's going on. Look at these animals. Wolf, lamb, leopard, goat, 
These are predators and prey. They are emblems of hostility that is at the heart of creation, blood, tooth, and claw, right? And it's saying that when Jesus comes again that second time, he will actually put an end to hostility, every kind of hostility in the earth, even in the animal creation, and he will bring reconciliation and healing in every part of creation where there is hostility and division. This is what Jesus promises to do. And this is not a metaphor. Jesus is actually promising to heal the earth, including the animal and natural world. This harkens back to Eden when animals and humans lived together in harmony and peace, when there were no predators and when creation itself is perfect. And this is saying that when Jesus restores the world, somehow that's, that vision of harmony in Eden will be, be, be renewed and, and restored. Now, I don't know what this means. I don't know if this means like leopards will eat cantaloupes and Lions will eat kale, and, you know, it does say bears will eat straw. A lot of this is poetry, obviously, but what it does mean, the point of this is that the frustration and the blood and the, and the hostility and the agony that is even in with creation itself, even that will be healed when Jesus the King comes to reign. I mean, your hope is probably too small. If your hope is just for, like, that your little soul goes to heaven when you die? I mean, that's great news. But friends, that is a small hope. The biblical hope is way, way bigger than that. Have you ever truly thought about the Christian hope? William Temple once said, Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions. And what he means by that is this, is that whereas Islam looks forward to this heavenly paradise in the clouds, and where Buddhism looks forward to the complete extinguishment of the soul, Christianity looks forward to a day when the earth and soil and dust and mountains and trees themselves will be made new. That's what Christians hope in, a restored earth. Let me, don't get me wrong. Our, when I say this, I, I want to say it bluntly. Our hope is not heaven. Heaven is the place where God now reigns and where souls wait with Jesus until the restoration of all things. Our hope is the uniting of heaven and earth. When the new Jerusalem descends and all of creation is restored. This is the vision that Isaiah speaks of here. Romans speaks of it. All of creation longs for the day. All of creation, from aardvarks to, 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 to antelopes, from Mount Kilimanjaro to the Kansas Plains. All of creation looks for the day for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And that's why we sing at Christmas far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, everywhere in the earth, everywhere in all creation where the curse is displayed, Jesus comes to heal. From mosquito bites to pimples, from arthritis to constipation, you know it, from, from, from the destruction of the environment to the, to the desolation of the oceans, from, from the warring of nations to the slavery of children. From, from cancer to chronic pain, from mental illness to addictions, from, from the, 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 the breakdown of marriages and relationships to the, to the barren places in your own soul. Jesus is, that hope is so large. Jesus comes to heal all of this. Is your hope too small? Can you imagine? This is not a myth. This is true. I'm inviting you to believe it. It was hard to believe that he would come the first time, was it not? And yet, just as sure as he did, he will come again. And he will make all things new. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. So what does that mean for you, right? This is a great poetic vision, but what does this mean for the way you live your life Monday morning? Well, look at our chart again, okay? Where are you in this chart? Well, I've made a little fancy arrow here. You are here, okay? (laughs) You are in the middle. You are living in the in-between, the two advents of Jesus, in between the already and the not yet, between grace already given and shalom that is yet to come. You are living between all that Jesus has already come to do and all that he is coming to do. You live there in the middle. So what does that mean for you and me? It means that we wait. But it is not this like sort of passive, lazy waiting like in the lobby of DMV. It's more like waiting in the hospital room when your wife's in labor. It's that kind of way. In fact, someone said to me this week, Advent is like putting your hand on the belly and feeling the movement. That's what Advent is like. It is an active waiting. It is a, is a waiting full of preparation and activity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul speaks about the new creation, he speaks about the day of resurrection when our own dead bodies will be renewed and given new, new life. He, he then goes on to say this uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourselves fully. Don't sit there. Resist passivity. Resist complacency. Don't just sit there with your hands in your pockets. Give yourselves fully because we know that this great birth is coming. And so what do we do, friends? We labor for the Lord. We share the good news of Jesus to all, inviting them into his kingdom. We, we give ourselves to the work of justice, caring for the poor and the vulnerable of the earth and those who've been unjustly treated or unjustly tried. We, we, we work for reconciliation in marriages between races, between groups, and there are many these days in our United States uh, that are full of, of hostility and divisions. We work for the healing of these in anticipation of that great day when Jesus ends all hostility. We even care for creation, this world that Jesus made and loves Uh, Even in the smallest of ways, showing kindness to a neighbor, choosing to forgive when you want to be bitter, giving your money away when you want to keep it for yourself. Uh, All of these things are small ways that we are anticipating and bearing witness to that coming day when Jesus restores the earth and makes it right again. So we are bearing witness to that day when selfishness and terror, when evil and bitterness, when thorns and thistles will be wiped away forever. And we do none of this under the illusion that we ourselves can bring about the transformation of the world. That's foolishness. We cannot. We do this with the knowledge that the one who has come is coming again. And that he is, we are even with our small efforts, we are participating in his renewal of the world that is coming. He only can bring about the impossible possibility of a new creation. And that gives us tremendous hope when our efforts fail, and they will. When your love dries up, and it will. When your attempts to bring reconciliation in a marriage fails, and it will. When your um, efforts to, to share the good news of Jesus with someone are rejected, and it will. All of this, we, 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 we do not give up hope because Jesus is the one who brings the transformation of the earth. And so we wait. Like Isaiah, we look beyond the barren disappointments of our surroundings, and we see hope rising on the horizon. Lo, he comes. Lo, he comes. Let me close in this way, saying this. Um, I had an unusual thing happen to me. Um, I was reflecting on this week. Now, for two years in a row, 
and I hope not the third or a fourth, but I, for two years in a row now, I have begun Advent, the first week of Advent, with a funeral of a friend. A friend who should not have died. Both taken too soon by cancer. The same week last year, first, first uh, Wednesday of Advent, Sarah and I went to the funeral of our friend Brian, who uh, has died and left three little ch- children and his wife Holly. This Wednesday, I went to the funeral of our friend Perrin Thompson. Many of you were there. A covenant child of this church, raised here. And the funerals were gut-wrenching. They were, spoke to the horror of cancer. But in both funerals, something remarkable happened. The spouse of the one who had died stood and testified with tears over the great grief in their hearts and the sorrow in their souls but spoke with a power that I think could only have possibly come from the Spirit of God, spoke of a otherworldly hope that Jesus is coming again to make all things right and that one day they will embrace their beloved again in the flesh, not in some spirit netherworld, but in the flesh, standing on a healed world. And at Brian's funeral, at the end of the service, uh, the pastor stood before the table. As, and invited us to come to the table. And this is what he said. He said, here now, we eat this little, this little feast. of It's hardly a feast, just a piece of bread and some juice. But this is what it is. It is, like, it is like you tasting the first taste of a feast that is sitting in the next room. It is like an appetizer of the banquet that is coming. That as we come and join at the table, we, we anticipate the day when we and Brian and Perrin and all the rest of the saints who died in Christ are all seated around the table and we are not doing it in some otherworldly place. We are doing it on the renewed earth with the mountains and trees and animals singing around us for the king has come. This is what we anticipate at this little table. And as we left, we sang that hymn, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. So here we are, the first week of Advent, standing in the face of these unspeakable tragedies and the evil one who has wrecked havoc in the world, and we say, sing into his face, evil, your days are numbered. Death is dying. We are not in a crash course with destruction in our world. We are on the pathway to renewal. And therefore, we're people who sing, we're people who hope, uh, we're people who never give up. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain, because it is true, brothers, it is true, sisters, lo, he comes. He comes. Let's pray. Thank you, holy and loving Father and Son and Spirit, that you have uh, already done this remarkable work of living and dying and rising for us, Jesus, that we celebrate here at this table, and that we don't have to fear judgment day. We don't have to fear the wrath of God because Jesus has covered us in his death for us. Thank you that we also anticipate at this table the coming again of Jesus, when we will feast with him at the table on a new earth. And so give us hope, give us faith today to see that coming day and to rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.